Get ready for a little surf and turf action on Midnight Run Through, a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy Midnight Run, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brest. Co-hosted by me, One Heat Minute Productions' Blake Howard. And me, Jen Johans from Watch With Jen. Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through an incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafet Kodo, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker Hall, Joe Pantoliano, and company on screen. Today, our guests are... No, I, uh, hi, I'm Charles. Uh, I'm uh, Charles Hood. <laughs> Wait, what, what do you need me to do? What do I have to do? Just I'm introduce just, yourself and maybe perfect. plug the show. Perfect. <laughs> I felt like perfect. we were in a help group for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do? Uh, this is going hi. great. This is going uh, great. I'm, I'm, uh, hi, I'm Charles Hood. I am a filmmaker and a podcast host, uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Um, and that's that's me. Hi, I'm Adam Pally. I'm an uh, actor um, and writer, uh, and that, that's 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 the only thing. That's it, that's it. I don't have a podcast. But before we go any further, let's kick things off with Jack Welch's old turf with the ultimate question: Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? Because my wife is stripping the new captain. <laughs> well, that's that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Adam, Charles, why is this one of your favorite movies? I know that for everyone that has a slightly different experience, Jen and I, it's a friendship foundational text for us. Um, uh, Jen, it was a, an awakening of her, her youth um, to be so attracted to a young Bobby De Niro. For me, it was uh, kind of like obsession and uh, uh, of all things that are De Niro and, and particularly then going down the rabbit hole of like buddy comedies. But why do you guys love this movie so much? Uh, I mean, I've loved it since I, I honestly don't even remember the first time I watched it. I just watched it all the time when I was a kid. It was just on HBO or whatever it was on on TV. And I just wa I've watched it so many times. There's no recollection of when I started watching it. And uh, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, it's just stuck with me for so long. I think I like re kind of discovered it again, like 10 or 15 years ago and then became obsessed with it and watched it like three times in the span of one week. Um and it's just, I don't know, it's a really special movie for so many reasons. I mean, the, the just watching it again this this week, like the command of tone that, Mar that Martin Brest has on this movie is just, and I've, I've listened to all the episodes of the show, so I know what everybody's talked about. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, like Elfman's score, I, I, everybody talks about. I have not. We were going to quiz okay. you, yeah. but. There yeah. is a quiz. Don't. I mean, don't bother. I don't know what anyone else said. I didn't even Google, I didn't even Google you guys. <laughs> Who the hell are you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there's good. a million reasons, but let's let's hear from Adam. <laughs> um, no, similarly, I think I think like, you know, um for for people our age, I don't know what we're called. Like Jen, what are we called, Charles? Like Jen. It's like Gen, Gen we're, I think we're Gen X slash elder millennials. I think they call it yeah, geriatric. Of, yeah. Isn't it geriatric millennials? Geriatric millennials. Like yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think for for geriatric millennials, movies like were such a big deal because there weren't that many, you know. Yeah. And like going to Blockbuster was a huge, huge deal on a Friday night. 
yeah. and picking out the movies that you were going to rent and watch and bring back. And you wouldn't just watch it once. You'd watch it like all weekend yeah. and then you'd get it back again. So I feel like this movie, especially as I was like reaching puberty, like uh, even though it was made the year I was born, I feel like it's one of those movies that was on in my house all the time that as soon as my friends and I found it, because I think, I think we found that it, it, it has the word fuck in it, it the most of any movie, <laughs> at least of that time for it held the record. Yeah. So it was like a big thing to get your hands on. And then it's just so funny and such a good movie that like similar to Charles, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I can tell you that I've, I've probably seen it a, a million times. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just like one thing that I love too is like, sorry, I'm just my, I'm going to be so scatterbrained on this, but it's like watching it That's again, good. Like, That's what I, you want for a podcast. <laughs> I, I just like, whenever I watch the movie, I always think it's so funny that like, I love that it's like a movie from like the 1930s where like a single punch knocks people unconscious. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, this it, movie happen, it happens bigger. over and over in that, in this movie, just unquestioned. They even call just, it like, out. One punch just, just knocks a person out every single time. Marv even calls it out. Where he's yeah. like, like a couple times Marv is like, well, go to sleep. <laughs> you know, it's like what is he doing to these people but you know you needed that in these in these time periods like it would be it's so hard to make a movie like this now with uh with phones and stuff you know like yeah they, and and they're really like on the edge of it and they're using it to the best of their ability with like tapping phones and, and you know like f- wires and location enabling and stuff they're like right on the cusp of it but it would be impossible to to like you'd have to that would be the whole movie is like a is out thinking the phones yes yeah and just making so that they couldn't be tracked on gps the entire journey mm-hmm. or like you know you, it's almost like that whole tony scott enemy of the state i know charles is a big enemy of the state guy but it's like enemy of the state it's like they get they get someone on a uh, surveillance footage or something like that. Someone's hacking here and all oh, we can see them here and we can track them here and they rented a car from here and they use their credit card. It's like all of that stuff is so nice that you don't even have to worry about it. You're like, no, we're just yeah. in a world where they, these people can't be found. And I think people our age still remember what that was like. Like yeah. I remember not having well, isn't, a phone. Like I remember not having well, a phone at all. Like we had a home. Yeah. Getting the phone number based on listening to the, like the, yeah. the sound that they make. Yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, that's yeah. a five. Yeah. Yep. Now people would be like, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, I think I think this movie also does something now that that you could do, but people don't, which is they shot for the most part. I mean, I think there's a couple sets with Dennis Farina, but for the most part, this movie is shot on location yeah. in America. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> there are major comedic set pieces in New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, <laughs> Uh, like Texas, I don't know if te- if they fake Texas because there's really nothing, no need to. But like the one fake, the one the one fake Arizona. is the river. The yeah, the one fake is the river se- sequence. Part of that was shot in New Zealand because again, Adam, to your point, they were shooting all over the country. And because it was taking a long time for them to shoot, they missed a season. So they were like, oh, where we were going to shoot is now winter, so we need to go somewhere else. So they Our flew five the entire- minutes of winter. Yeah, yeah they flew. They yeah. flew. They flew to, they flew to New Zealand and then came back. Yeah, no, totally. And like you, that's part of the the magic of this movie too, though. Uh, yes. Similar to it remind it, this movie reminds me so much of Blues Brothers and Once Upon a Time in America. It was like a big. This was it was a big rush of these movies around this time. Yeah. And like this movie, better than all, shows you 
America at the time, like in such a weird, beautiful way that you're because you're really there. You're really in Las Vegas. Yes. You know, which is such a contrast to the cutback to Chicago, you know, and it was like it really does give you that sense of like, how's he going to make it there by midnight, which they also stretch. That's like, which midnight is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like, like by the end of it, you're like, this has been a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's, it's midnight a, a little ways away, a little ways away, not a stretch. Building off what Adam was saying, like, like seeing Amarillo, like I'd never seen a place like that in my life when I was when I was that little. I just like no idea. It was so interesting to see this other other sides of the country. You know, it was a uh, amazing. Yeah, like the it. gas the and the, and the the plane scene. Yeah, you know, yeah. is yeah, like so wild. Yeah. Like that little town where there's just four people. It's like, you know, I don't I, that again. Maybe that doesn't exist anymore. No, like even the smallest towns have like um, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because they they show up there, and they don't have a phone, right? There's no phone. Right. There's no phone. <laughs> there's just a plane. <laughs> there's, no, there's no phone. There's no plane. But but also like, who's reading a that script? checks out? Yeah. Who, who's reading a comedy script? And Adam, this would be like targeted at someone like you. Is like, who's reading a comedy script? Where they're like, okay, Adam, what we need you to do is we need you to fly a biplane. And this other actor is going to wrestle you out of it while it's moving. And it's going to be one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Like it just doesn't, there's no world where that's, well, that's the reason though, but that's the reason though, like, you know, um, this movie is the, is like the pinnacle of buddy of buddy movies. You know, yes. it's like referenced all the time. Hollywood's been trying to make, make it and remake it forever and there are versions of it you know there's like 48 hours and whatever there's never been a version where the two buddies are the bad guys like they are in this movie which i yes. really love yes because it it's like let's that it, it, it excuses all the times robert de niro just like hot wires a car uh <laughs> and so much by the end of it charles gordon is like another car great it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, add some more uh, felonies yeah yeah uh but um so i think like what this movie does so well is its casting is especially at the time like it is so relevant to hollywood and who those actors are as personalities yes that it was able to it kind of was almost i would say borderline reality television and that was the reason that america i think that's the reason that it really was revolutionary in a way um because it was the first time like the reason it's so big is because robert de niro was the biggest movie star on the planet yeah and he was so serious yes and so when they paired him with charles grodin who was the biggest one of the biggest comedic stars on the planet it was like hollywood bubbled you know it was like oh we're gonna make de niro it was like his first time doing something like that and then and so i feel like that gives it this like undercurrent of energy that obviously when you rewatch it you don't know because you're not of that time and you don't understand but like that is why it's so good it's it's the tone is great the direction is great but it's really de niro I mean, yeah, the the just the, the two of them together and and Gro- I mean Groden's delivery is just like there's so many lines in that movie that when I was watching it again, I was like, that's that that that, that would there's no way that would read funny on the page at all. I'll have tea. Like when he's like, gee, <laughs> gee, that's too bad. I really like you. 
or yeah, yeah. I'll have tea. Like, like those <laughs> things, like those aren't funny lines. Like, mm -hmm. but they like some of the biggest jokes and some of the biggest laughs when I'm watching the movie and it's all just Groden's delivery. Like, I mean, What's Teresa? What's Teresa? I just yeah. love him. It's just so funny. And then like, later so when he funny. brings it back and he says to De Niro that he wants the chorizo and he gets mad and he's like, chorizo, that's what I want. I want chorizo. Yeah. But that's a, like, I think that's great. I mean, to me, to me, the real marvel of this script slash movie is like how much it feels improvised because of how and, and what you would consider to be bad improvising. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, Robert De Niro stammers on every line. He repeats it four or five times. He, you know, which is like not great improvising because it adds no information. It's like kind of stalling. You know yeah. what I mean? But for <laughs> some reason, the script is so crystal clear. And I don't think a lot of it was improvised. I think that that like a lot of it was just on the page and those guys are amazing. And like, the, you know all those all interactions of like i'm not hungry yeah i'm hungry no you're not hungry oh, he's hungry oh you're hungry now it's like <laughs> that is amazing timing editing acting like it's just so good it doesn't add much information on the like so on the page i don't know if that's there but in this movie it works better than any other movie i've ever seen you know yeah when you got de niro doing that <laughs> yeah there's nothing yeah better. but he's great at it too he's really yeah. and like that's what makes me think that maybe it's not all improvised because like their timing and especially when they're on the train the the the, uh, the first one where he locks him in the bathroom that is <laughs> the timing in the in those conversations are so well well done that it's either like uber rehearsed and charles you you know how you how how like you know, we've done stuff like that where it's like you just rehearse it to death that the dialogue feels like it's improvised. Right. Or it actually is De Niro being like, oh, he's hungry. Jack. Jack, I, th I think this is illegal. Jack, I don't think you can keep a person in a bathroom like this. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's very claustrophobic in here. There's yeah, it is. Well, I'll tell you what, when we get to L.A., you can tell the prison psychiatrist all about it. There's no air. There's no ventilation in here. I told you I was claustrophobic. Come on. What do you think I'm going to do? Jump off a train moving 90 miles an hour? Jack? 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 Thanks. Thanks. Much better. Thank you. Good. What are you doing? What am I doing? Arithmetic. Arithmetic? Maybe I can help you. I am an accountant. Well, you know, I was thinking after I turn your ass in and collect my money, I'm going to open up a nice little coffee shop. How much exactly are you getting for me? I don't think that's any of your concern, but I'll tell you just to, just to tell you. A hundred thousand. hundred thousand? That mean you take a hundred thousand to let me go? Not by a long shot. Two hundred thousand? 
I never took a payoff in my life, and I'm not going to start with someone like you. Why not? Because you're a fucking criminal, and you deserve to go where you're going, and I'm going to take you there. And if I hear any more shit out of you, I'm going to fucking bust your head, and I'm going to put you back in that fucking hole, and I'm going to stick your head in the fucking toilet bowl, and I'm going to make it stay there. I have to tell you, a restaurant is a very tricky investment. More than half of them go under within the first six months. If I were your accountant, I'd have to strongly advise you against it. You would, huh? Yeah. Well, you're not my accountant. No, I mean, if I were your accountant... I, I told you, I took you out here... No, I'm just saying that it's a very, very tricky business. And if I were your accountant, I would really strongly have to advise you against it as, a, as an accountant. You're not my accountant. I, I realize I'm not your accountant. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, I mean, it's what I love, like, like working with you, Adam, is like, yes, it's very rehearsed, but there's always in every take, you can just throw in a little extra word or a little extra something that just adds so much more, or just like a little, a little phrase snuck in in between everything that's very well rehearsed. And I feel like that's probably what this maybe was. I mean, I saw, yeah. I went to I mean, the I've QA. Worked with, I've worked with De Niro. Oh, that's right. And and like to me, just from like working with him, I think this is this movie is one of the best marriages of like actor director, like the the trust between leading man director in this movie mm-hmm. and 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 Charles Grodin because he's a, a specific kind of actor as well. You know, like when I was a kid, he used to annoy me. Um, <laughs> Like, because he was something... the old dad in our movies, lots of the movies that we saw him, right? Adam, right? And he, he was, was just so yeah. great, and he was yeah. so good, you know. But there, Beethoven, there's, yeah, <laughs> there's something like when you see a lot of what De Niro does, his style or like whatever is this kind of repetition, you know, um, where he'll say something three or four ways before he moves on to the next thing, and so that combination with uh, Martin's direction. It's like he it's like it's like having a a tool and knowing exactly what to do with it. Yeah. And I think that that it just showcase it's like he just knew how to showcase De Niro perfectly. And some people don't, as you can see by other movies. Yeah. Well, and a few years ago, I went to the Q&A that uh, PTA did with Martin Brest. It was a screening of, of Midnight Run. And he and they were just talking about his career trajectory. And Martin Brest said something along the lines of, "I'm probably gonna butcher it," but he said, "Like when I did Going in Style, like I was so uh, strict about making it in exactly the way I storyboarded it, and it was, everything was exactly the way it was written and everything." And then he said he went and made Beverly Hills Cop, and it was the exact opposite, and it was just completely improvised, and he was so loose and just completely changed his style of filmmaking. And then he said when he made Midnight Run he was able to sort of merge the two and figure out like, this is going to be exactly the way I want to do it, but it's also, we're going to build within it. It's like a, a certain amount of improvisation. And so I thought, yeah, it's just, it all comes together. I watched, I rewatched all three of those this week and it's just like, I mean, I love those other two movies, but midnight run really does feel like a culmination of, of all of it. Just it's such an, yeah, achievement. it feels like his best work. I mean, like the, there are scenes, like you can tell the scene where, um, uh, Grodin is acting like a cop to get them counterfeit money yeah. mm-hmm. uh you can you can tell that that scene there's a lot of improv in that scene especially when he starts talking to the extra like <laughs> the the extra is like um dying laughing this old yes. guy. Like you can you can see it 
You know what I mean? And that conversation is such a good, like you can tell that's improv improvised where Charles Grodin's like, I think he says something like, um, like you, you see anybody suspicious? Do you dye you, your hair? You see anybody suspicious? No, I think it's, do you see anybody suspicious yes. around here? And then the guy goes, <laughs> uh, no. And he goes, do you live around here? <laughs> and then the and guy then... goes, the guy goes about a mile down the road. And so then Charles Grodin like culminates it with, well, then I'd say there's some suspicious people here. <laughs> and it's like the guy is like dying laughing, you know, and, and so like I'm sure stuff like that feels is improvised. But the the way that the two of them are together is really like I bet you there was so a ton of rehearsal that yeah, it, right. that's what it has the feeling to me. Don't you think, Charles? Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's just there's there's really nothing better than a two shot with two great actors playing great characters. Like the, like the two shot on the yeah. yeah yeah just the two shot on the bus, like talk about the smoking knowing, scenes yeah like oh. talk about knowing when to stay out of the way mm-hmm. like there's I, I was watching it this past time it's like there's two different scenes like there's a scene of the two of them on the bus and then it cuts to another scene I think maybe Dennis Freen or something and then comes back to them on the bus it's the same shot for yeah. two different scenes the same two shot and you and, think how could they not have gone under there a lot of days <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how I mean, are they just... going to New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the restraint there, and to let those two just play off each other is just amazing. Yeah, um, and yeah. he's the best at that, I think. You know, as far as these comedies go, I mean, you look at his other work; he really is good at that. He really, he never yeah. puts his own filmmaking above the the comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just that, and yeah, it's that command of tone. Like, it's really amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it, uh, the music like Elfman's music like you could easily put something more serious sounding on this and it could mm-hmm. you could try to put more dangerous sounding whatever like urgency in the in the in the when the helicopter's shooting them in the New Zealand scene um like but it's like this fun music and so you're just having a blast with them even well, though they're blues in danger brothers. and getting shot at yeah it's, it's very brothers. indicative of blues brothers yeah you know it's like it's almost like the price is right music you know like it's like honky-tonk but that was big at the it's time like you know, especially it, yeah it's yeah, a, yeah it really is yeah it has it, it, it even feels like television inspired i believe at the time um what was that big show with the daisy duke shorts and the and the oh dukes, dukes, of dukes, flag dukes i feel like dukes yeah. of hazard had been around and like you know it was like there was this idea that you could lighten the mood and i think that also comes from both characters being somewhat unlikable yeah mm-hmm. you know there's they're not precious with these characters lives and like that is something that you don't get in modern day comedy. You would never have a modern day comedy that follows uh, two criminals. Yeah. Well, he's and not a criminal. He is a criminal. He's a bounty hunter. <laughs> criminal. <laughs> but he is a dick. I mean, the whole, I mean, we haven't even brought up the scene that everybody brings up, which is you know when he goes to visit his ex wife and sees his I daughter. Love that scene. Yeah. This last time watching, I have two daughters. I just bawled my eyes out. Yeah. Um. You know and. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a tough scene. I mean, I, it, the my favorite part is when she comes out to offer him the money. Yes, that's yeah. the best. That's the and, best. It's like she he, wants to do anything, and he yeah. turns her down. He's like, yeah. he, I, he, but that's the most likable part of the movie mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, yeah. if yeah. he doesn't turn her down, and then he, he is a the way then he's he a does, real piece yeah. of shit. Then he's a real then you piece kind of don't care if he did, lives or dies. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say that scene you were bringing up too, talking about money. 
um, as far as showing the development of the characters, like the way that Grodin and De Niro, their characters are starting to trust each other. I mean, there's that hilarious thing where they're looking at, have you had any 20s? And then he looks and De Niro, you know, hits the hand on the, <laughs> like, oh, he's been here. And just the way they're starting to play off each other. And that scene at the house, you need that to kind of help their relationship as well. Yeah. Well, there's this moment, there's this moment where De Niro, they're walking to the house and De, I don't think he says I'm nervous, but I think it's, it's, it's played yes. that way, right? It's played like, mm -hmm. I don't know what's right. going to happen. And then Charles Grodin says to him, this is going to be good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is like such an odd choice uh, of words and dialogue between two people who are strangers to each other you know mm -hmm. it's like yeah i really liked it yeah yeah it's i mean de niro's incredible in that scene but it's also fascinating to watch groden's reactions through the whole scene too and mm -hmm. how awkward he feels of this and how he yeah and then yeah when they go back to the car afterwards and it's like de niro's like already a changed man he's like helping Groden into the car and like putting his jacket tucking his jacket yeah. in before he his jacket in yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like that <laughs> But then I also yeah. love the moment, where, um, which comes after that, where they go to the thing and the credit cards are canceled. Tickets to Los Angeles, please. Still gonna make our schedule? Don't worry, I'll get you there on time. Don't have any illusions. 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 I'm sorry, sir. This card's been canceled. Huh? It's, it's been canceled? I'm sorry, that's a mistake. Would you please try it again? I checked it twice, sir. Please try it again. Please try it again. Bill. Shut up. I'm sorry, sir. It's been canceled. Ma'am, that is impossible. I pay my bills. There is no way that that could be canceled. canceled. Shut up. Please. It's canceled, uh, sir. Would you like to try another credit card? I don't have any other credit cash. cards. Please, would you just try that again? No. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and Charles Grodin is is playing off of the woman saying that the cards are canceled. Yes. Right. And Which is so it's good. like. It's so good the way he does it because he's yeah. not going, help me. You know, he's not like, no, he's just like, <laughs> he's so like, he's yeah. it, like they're a couple and he's like embarrassed. He's like, oh, my guy. It's so well played. It's, it's so funny. We'll be back after this quick break. Adam, you use the great turn of phrase about Martin Bress knowing the tool that De Niro is, like using him to perfection. But I think that Grodin, like this thing is like two cogs and they both have to work in such harmony and Grodin can just do any, he's like the perfect harmony every time. Like well, that scene could be played so different and he just does exactly what is required. I think, I think De Niro, I mean, I think Robert De Niro works best with another straight man. Yeah. I think he, Robert needs like utmost reality around him to do the job. And I think if you look at his most successful comedies, like Ben Stiller is a very good approximation of Charles Grodin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they're played real. Everything is real. The frustration is muted. We're not outlandish. We're not over the top. We're we're in these horrendous situations, but we're down to earth and we're grounded and we're played real. And that lets De Niro really shine. I think when De Niro struggles in comedies, 
it's when the person he's working with, like William Shatner, is like <laughs> huge. Yeah. And Robert can't find his like footing. Jerry Lewis. I mean, I love mm-hmm. King of Comedy, but like infamously they didn't get along. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, you know, I think it's it's like when Robert is feels bullshit on you, he's like, nah, I'm not gonna I don't I'm not gonna do that, you know. <laughs> so so how much bullshit did he did how much bullshit did he detect on you, Adam? Um <laughs> uh quite a bit i would say um, we did make him, no, we did, I, think... I did make him talk about midnight run for three hours uh you know. <laughs> no i think he we we got along i think he liked me i think i really do think he liked me um i gave him his space you know like he he's like really needs his space but i think again like similarly i, I that movie is crazy that we're in together is is crazy and big and and whatever but um you didn't let your process you know, get in his way no, and Charles, you know I have an extensive process. <laughs> but it's I got I got to do so much work to get on camera. <laughs> Mostly plastic surgery is what I mean. <laughs> uh, there's another moment that I really am obsessed with that I really want to talk about. Um, it's well, it's kind of a whole scene, but there's one moment in particular. So when De Niro is. Um, when he's taken in by the FBI at the end of the like second act, there's basically like three and a half minutes. I, I counted it this time. I like clocked it three and a half minutes on like one medium shot of De Niro where he's just at the station where he's making phone calls. And then they go to like reverse shots on the other end of the phone calls, but it's really just De Niro in this one medium shot. Again, the restraint of Martin Brest. And it's, it's all you need. It's so good. But watching him watching De Niro as he figures out, the whole thing like that Marvin made a deal with Serrano's then he calls uh Serrano's thug and then the best moment though is like after he hangs up and he looks he looks back and forth in the station he's like figure he's like figuring out in the moment what he's gonna do I mean, what his plan is gonna be and he kind of looks hyped. back and then he looks forward and he's he looks hyped back up. and he looks forward and he, and he does and, kind he's of, like, and, he's like, and then he finally like realizes what he's gonna do and then he call, it's just like yeah. I, I just like I could watch that moment on repeat it's so yeah. fucking great there's a lot of like um, stuff like that. He also does one when he's walking alone. They have a shot of him. He's walking alone and he turns back around real quick. He almost looks directly into camera. Talking about. Yeah. And it's like, cause he's hyped up. He's putting it together. He's like, I'm going to do it. Turns around real quick. It's like, <laughs> he's so, you know, funny. it almost feels like a mistake, but it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> It's great, yeah. And I him, mean, him, him playing off the kid on the airplane when he's making the yes. fake ID. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a funny scene. Well, that's the, script, the script is so well written. You know, it reminds me of Die Hard in a way. Like, yeah, where it's just like all these little. It's just so simple and well written and well yeah. done. The plane stuff. I'm afraid of flying. Like all this stuff is like it just pays off. Everything pays off. And then the tone of it is so special because of the way that they speak to each other. That it, it really is like the seminal, I think, R-rated comedy. Yeah. And so they can't... released the same day they as Die Hard? Yeah, they released yeah. the same Open day. The same same day. day. Can you fucking mm-hmm. imagine? Jesus. Yeah. What a time and it, to it, be it, alive. Just like Die Hard too. Like, it, just like Die Hard, it's also, it's like a, it's such a well-drawn ensemble. Like, just so Yeah, it's so well-cast. Amazing characters. So, well so cast. The casting. Yeah, Yafet Koto, his looks that he's making. Yeah. Dennis Farina, I feel like at his absolute best. Who's the guy behind Yafet Koto on the left? Who's in 
Oh, he's in, Di- in he's in Die Hard as well, I think. Is yeah, um... yeah. Who watches this movie and says, "Okay, now Philip Baker Hall, Sydney, that's the guy I want to make a movie about." Like, <laughs> you, have, you have to respect one the guy. level of one you have to respect yeah. the level of insanity from Paul Thomas Anderson being like, "Oh yeah, 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 that's the character I'm going to make a movie about that guy." But like, I can see why he loves this movie because it feels like a Jonathan Demme movie. Like the whole ensemble and all the characters. Like the only thing missing is like some live bands that they could have encountered in different bars or casinos <laughs> along yeah. the way. Like that, then it's a Jonathan Demi movie, you know? And that's yeah, but it's like there's something Demi. about not doing that that makes it even more of a comedy. Right. You know, and I think like that's to me, like that's what what I really why it hits me harder than a lot of those Jonathan Demi movies is that like it this to me is like almost John Hughes. It, it's yeah. it's like plane it's like plane trains and automobiles. Yeah, is the is right. the is what comes after this. You know what I mean? Like Steve Martin's film career is a direct progression of Charles Grodin's work in Midnight Run. Yeah, and I feel like that line that 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 drawn line is why this movie always does it for me. You know, because it's like there those movies don't exist. There are no more comedies like that anymore. So this is so you watch this. That's why every Friday night you go. You, like I remember the the blockbuster cover of this, like almost as much as that Michael Douglas movie, uh, Hard Rain. <laughs> Black Rain. Black Rain. Black Rain. Yeah. Black Rain. Baby. Yeah. Baby. Hard Rain's ba- another one. Babe. Babe. Yeah. But like, remember, like there's like certain now? boxes that you just remember at the video <laughs> yeah. store. You yes. know, you're like I. Both oh. of them had the leather jacket thing too. Yes. I yeah. mean. How many? Yeah. yeah, you got Douglas. And anyway, have you guys all seen? Got to do a little aside because I'm associated with Black Rain. But um, have you guys all been on YouTube and checked out the Babe Supercut for Black Rain? Oh, it's very good. It's you sensational. You need to do that. No, it's no. every time. I I kind of always considered it like a homoerotic love story, and I'm not alone. Somebody put together <laughs> yeah. a supercut for sure. Every time they say the word babe or call each other babe, <laughs> I love it. Yes. What do you see, baby? Lady, I hope somebody's paying you to wear that goddamn suit. It's 85 bucks a pop, babe. Grab your dick and count to infinity, babe. You guys ready? Yeah, baby. You okay, babe? Thanks, babe. You never know, babe. It's done, babe. 911, babe. 911. Seatbelt tight, babe. Here we go, babe. We got the local heat. Hey, Charlie, get your map out, will you, babe? So what's happening, baby? How your lunch, babe? We got good news for you, babe. You come here, baby. Oh, babe, we're just still moving in my mouth. I am taking the silverware, babe, all right? Hey, babe. You're going to have to lose the Kmart time, babe. It's a fire hazard. If you get it, enough, throw your hat out of it, babe. What I say, babe? Baby, what I say? Come on, baby. See no, about me. You and me, baby. Come on, babe. You want to play? You and me. Good move. Hey! Master, rise and shine, babe. Yeah, and yeah, but Koto had no idea it was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and also, Adam, the guy, the same guy that's in Die Hard that you're thinking of, he plays an FBI special agent and he's also standing behind Yafet Koto, is Robert Davy. That's Robert Davy, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I did. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he's oh, the guy. Oh, Vietnam. Yeah. yeah yes. How did I. I, how did I not catch him in Midnight Run? He's, standing behind, he's I, standing behind him. He's, he's just there. Left, I think he, yeah. He, yeah. 
Yeah. Every scene would be affect. Because he he doesn't have a line, does he? I don't think he yeah, has. Yeah, he line. does have a line. He oh, does have a line. There's a couple maybe lines. Yeah, he's just like they're coming from Amarillo or whatever. Like he brings him a telegram. But I mean, I think this movie stands the test of time, similar to Die Hard One. Yeah. Like I think yeah. it's just like they're both classics to me. You know. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's only. I think it's only in like the scarcity of movies like this that you relish how much everything works, you know, how, how perfect it is and how calibrated it is. It's just like, and also lots of contemporary movies look like that because of, you know, shooting on green screens and things like that, things look terrible. And so when you look at this movie and you're like, Oh, that's New York city or that's LAX or that's, you know, that's Chicago. Like they're there. You can't fake any of this stuff. It looks right. It feels right. And it just, and especially now as, you know, some of us are physical media psychos. I know Charles is as well. Like when you're a physical media psycho, when everything gets upgraded onto 4k and you watch these things again and everything looks like as, as good, if not better than it ever looked at a cinema, you're like the midnight runs of the world are the movies that look that like haven't aged a day. They just look perfect. The only thing is they don't have phones. They don't have stupid phones or computers or those things, but the tactile feeling of everything is so like you can reach out and touch it. It's amazing. But you see that yeah. like all the all the like auteur filmmakers, you know, Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson and now Alexander Payne and every like none of them make movies set now. Yes. No. They're all they're all making old period pieces before their cell phones. Yes. It's just like that's just that's where that's where you go. Because like how how do you tell a story now with fucking cell phones? <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone'll do it. Someone will do it. No, someone will do it. Someone will do it. It's, I feel like it's really. Soderbergh and Fincher are the two, I think, like kind of leading the way. They're the ones who are like, we're going to do it. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. yeah. We, we well, Let's make a movie, Adam, where you just, we'll just shoot you just on your phone. Honestly, that's, it should be a love story. Because <laughs> I'm in love with my phone. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I guess Spike Jones did. Make I, that I'm movie still telling. I'm yeah. still telling Charles Adam <laughs> that he next, if he's making a some kind of action movie or a thriller, it needs to be somewhere set in Australia. Get some tax breaks, and so bring Adam Pally to New Zealand. Get him to jump into a ne- you know, midnight. Rise. I've never. That. I would love that. I you know I've never done like real action, like action action, where like the whole movie is like, what's this set piece? It's gonna take three months to shoot because it's like me falling off a building or whatever. Like. <laughs> I really want to do that, but also um, I don't think anyone wants to see it. So. There's two people on this show that want to see it. I want to see it. Well, yeah. Then you guys can finance it. You throw me up a desk. I have to ask also, because we haven't really touched on many of the side characters, so I just want to focus on like how perfect Farina is and how perfect like Joey Pants is and like how perfect Yafet is like all the guys who are in this movie who aren't that central core duo and like, Oh, John Ashton as Marvin. We've spoken a little bit about Marvin, but like all these people that are as part of this movie are just so incredible for their bits. And I just, that's a lost art. I think to Adam that you would probably notice is like, it's only rarely that you get a, an amazing ensemble where someone who is a serious actor just comes in to do like 10 minutes of work on a day or a day's work and well, then leaves. I think the reason for that, honestly, is because, you know, it kind of started with like Ocean's Eleven or whatnot, but like yeah. big, big casts are now like, look at Dune, right? Like yeah. Dune, Dune's 
supporting actors like Josh Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and so there aren't many character actors that you can reference as yeah. like, oh, that guy was great in this and great in that, or she was amazing in this and amazing at that. Because if it's a movie and it's big business, just on the budgets alone, even small parts are going to be given to people with giant followings that can yes. boost mm-hmm. up the that can hold up a, a tentpole, you know? So I think what has happened subsequently is that you have a lot of the great uh, character actors moving to TV, but then yeah. when they're in TV, they become the leads. Yeah. Because they're the best actors. So you can't book those people in your movies. So like, for an example, someone that Charles and I work with all the time, Tony Hale. Tony Hale is one of the best actors I've ever worked with. He's an Emmy winner for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. And probably if his career had was 20 years ago, he would be the villain in every major <laughs> action franchise on the planet, right? He would be the next, like... Um, Bond villain. Yeah. Yes, he would be Alan Rickman. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, truly, that's what he would be. But he's the lead of a... He has to be the lead of a television show. Yes. For 14 months a year. And so mm-hmm. he can't do that. It's like the, that kind of uh, separation of the business and stuff has made it where these character actors in the, in the big, like you said, Midnight Room is like the biggest movie of the year coming out, right? Yes. And they, mm-hmm. it's, they didn't have Dan Aykroyd playing Marv. Yeah. You know? And so I think like that is a big difference now. And if you were to make Midnight Run today, you better believe that the Marv role would be like The Rock. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it'd be more than one punch. I mean, yeah, yeah, equal number of punches. (laughs) Yeah. Every every fight scene would be like 15 minutes. This movie would go for three hours. That's the other thing that this movie has. Yeah. So perfectly attuned to its time. It just goes, Mm -hmm. goes and goes and goes. Yeah. But like, Mar- like it's true. Like, Marv would be played by Jamie Fox, and <laughs> he, you know, he would get be be getting paid more than you know the two actors who would be like Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. I want to, I want to, I want to cry. I want to cry. Originally, <laughs> they did, what? and they wanted Cher originally instead of Charles Grodin, and like George Gallo, and it was thinking you know, do we really want to see Robert De Niro like, you know, threaten a and handcuff a woman to a toilet and stuff? That idea of Cher. Yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. But like still, like there were way bigger stars than Groden at the time. For sure. Yeah, yeah he's, he had to he's keep a, auditioning. Yeah, he had to keep yeah. auditioning. And But Adam, you said the great thing, which we, now completely doesn't exist, which is like Groden was a favorite on Carson like the biggest show yeah. in the world. He would just mm-hmm. go on for like 10 minutes and yep. chill every couple of months, even if he didn't have a project on. And no. people knew his name. They're like, oh, he's he's one of the, the funniest people. guy. Yeah, he's yeah. angry. He's, he's like, <laughs> there's, there's, and that's always like, so great. That's the trajectory of com- comedy stars, right? Like yes. they're, yeah. you know, like they always come from, from lesser known places and blow it up mm-hmm. in on their first movie, like the Will Ferrells, Zach Galifianakis is, you know, Sandler's a little different, but Eddie Murphy, like that's, yeah. that's the standard trajectory for the TV to film. But Grodin was older at the time. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. in his thirties. It was mm-hmm. like his, 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 you know, 
star had already kind of like gone like this and and after this like you can't really point to a ton of Grodin's work as superstar Mm-mm. level you know of, of his own choosing yeah but you know I think that that's interesting I just think, I, I find that to be very very interesting and telling of like what would happen to a midnight run today I don't mm-hmm. think you would get like if you want if if you wanted to have everybody see Midnight Run today, I would cast like Leonardo DiCaprio and, Char- <laughs> and Charlie Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> or Seth Rogen or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I would. Yes, I would want or, or I would want to see like. Who would be the Yafik Kodo? I was just trying to think that. Oh, but those roles, those roles are like, forget it. That's yeah. Yafet Koto. Yafet Koto would be Kevin Hart. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yes. <laughs> you'd want yeah. it to be Michael Shea so funnier. much, but it would be Kevin Hart. Or you'd want it to no, be. No, yeah, but like, but that's the thing is like, it would not be cast well yeah. today. No. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's the holy grail for comedic actors, though, is yeah. to get booked in, in, in uh, Midnight Run. Even Whatever Joey, your generation's midnight run is. Even Joey Pants's role. What a killer role. Like just oh, a great yeah. it's just a great And that's role. his that's where he put he did that role like 50 times after that because yes. he was so good at it. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, we got this. Billy guy. Crystal and Gregory Hines. I'm blanking on the name, but yeah. Where he had like a mohawk. Bad boys. Mentioned... Well, he does bad no. boys like yeah, which is another George Gallo um, script. Let me yeah. think. Right. I mean, Bad Boys yeah. is the it, again is like closest to this because there are two amazing actors and comedians. Yes, but that again, Running Scared. Yes, Running Scared. Yes, yes. And I actually yeah. I talked about Running Scared online, and Joe Pantoliano uh, found the tweet somehow and like shared it, and he talked about how much fun that was, like playing these kind of roles. And so I think he missed missed it for sure. Yeah, it was a really good era. Oh yeah, the best. I mean, um, George Gow is the greatest. I-, I love what you just said before, Adam. It's like it is a holy grail. Like you can't. Mm-hmm. I I don't think we've had our midnight. And every run. well, we have, which is was like every ten years, Hollywood does it. They're like, let's get, uh, you know, hot comedic actors and throw them on the road. Yeah. I mean, I made one. You know, and it, it just wasn't very good. Like they, <laughs> they, you know, and so that that's part. It's like part of the Hollywood pantheon of like, what's this movie like? It's like Midnight Run. What does that mean? Well, it mm. means it's, you know, two men who can't emote, who learn <laughs> the, who learn something they need from each other on the road. Yeah. You know, due date. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. But that the Hangover. Was... Oh, yeah, The Hangover. Well, I was just going to say, recently what I sure. think of is that has similar energy and also was sort of received the same and is aging really well in our generations, like the nice guys. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. The great movie. But again, that movie's a different time period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, set in another completely different time and detached and everyone's like, why isn't there a sequel to the nice guys? And it's the same conversation we're having with midnight run. It's like, why aren't there sequels? And we're like, well, actually they are. can't get Russell Crowe to pass the health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Russ, he's living his best life. He's riding yeah. scooters in LA. He's riding scooters through Rome. What a legend. Um, but, but there are terrible midnight run sequels. 
Yes, made right. for the USA with Network with Christopher McDonald. With Christopher right? McDonald, yeah. did you know this? Adam? I never watched any of that. No, um, I haven't seen them. I'm I watched to. one, and it was yeah. I watched three uh, in a day as research for this show, and I hated <laughs> myself for it. So uh, yeah, I would just recommend not. Wow. they just don't have the same. It's it's. I can't believe they made so many. Yeah, they made like Were three you- in the same year. They're all like TV movie length. You know, one of them has Jeffrey Tambor in it. Um, you know, they've just got kind of got like cool. these these weird casts. Um, they're okay, but the problem is that they've kind of got like Chris McDonald's playing Jack as a bit of a buffoon. Like it, and he's not as accomplished or as smart as the Jack that we see in the movie. So he's always kind of getting put one, put one over on him. And it kind of like, it doesn't, I don't know. It's it's just not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. Well, Jack is not very smart. Like Jack, that that's the thing that's so great about Jack is like that line where Charles Grodin's like, "You're the dumbest bounty hunters ever." Like, <laughs> he's talking to Jack. He's yeah. talking about Jack. Like, yes. but mm-hmm. I think De Niro again. Like that is casting. Like De Niro is just like playing at this like way that you know what I mean. That chin up in the air. It's like it's the antithesis of being bad, even though he is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like that's why it works so well. He and John Ashton are like, you know, two sides of the same coin. They're both like, they're both very smart and good at what they do, but they're also kind of idiots. Yes. I think De Niro is a little bit more above him. Like De Niro does get the better of him probably more often, but you know, John Ashton gets gets the better of him sometimes as well. Drives up and hits him with the the car door and he's standing there looking like an idiot. Just like, oh, is that Marvin? When he gets hit. When that's he cancels the credit the cards, cards. Yeah. That's, the cards. that's like, because yeah. that's like smooth and cool. And you're like, oh, this guy yeah. actually is good at what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead oh, and, and like, pull those I've cards. Yeah. I, love, yeah. I love it. And I love that they're like frenemies. Like they hate each other, but they yeah. also love each other. Always like, oh, see you in LA. See you in LA. Like they're, just always, yeah. they're always getting the better of each other, fucking each other over. And then yeah. just being like, yeah, I'll see you in LA. Watch your cigarettes yeah. with him, Jack. You know, like, oh, God. Right. The best. And I'm glad they didn't kill off Ashton like they thought they were going to. Yeah, they were going to. No, yes. that, yeah, that, it's that that tone. Like they, just, no, I'm, yeah, they, I don't know they, if it was. I don't know if it was Martin Brass or whoever made that decision. It was. I think it was Martin. You know that, together. That's not right for like, that we tone. Can't, we can't. No. we can't kill Marvin. We can't. They need him at the airport at the end. They yeah. were having trouble figuring out how to play that. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you watch you watch Beverly Hills Cop and like there's like squibs going off, people are getting brutally killed. Like and it, that's that's not what you see in this movie. No. no. Very, but, very but, different. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to, to say about the movie is that again, the script is so airtight. It reminds me a lot of Breaking Bad in a lot of ways. Because yeah. it keeps it the whole point of it is to get the viewer into these situations where you're like, Well, they can't get out. This is mm-hmm. the end. And that happens like three or four times, even at like minute fifty uh you're like you know they're surrounded by shooters and the police and you're like they're literally getting arrested you're like well this is the end of the movie now how could (laughs) the cops are holding them there's uh gunmen on the thing and then all of a sudden marv pulls up (laughs) and it's like it's so it just works so well and they call it back with the discs at the end it's like you know again they, they don't i think part of the reason that that you don't see comedies like this is because they don't they don't spend the time making the script as good as the action movies like yes. this. Yes. Yeah. And if the script was as good as those great movies and is airtight, it and and like Charles said, everyone got out of the comedian's ways, I think you would get a lot more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, speaking to Charles as a last point before we maybe lose you, um, 
Sorry. I had it pointed out to me that <laughs> Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning feels a lot like Midnight Run because Gra the Grace character is like the Duke who's running away constantly yeah. and right. taking them into a situations that you possibly can't get out. And I was only talking to Clay Keller, one of our previous guests who looked at the poster on my wall and was like, you know, that movie in Midnight Run, they share like a lot, like the, the guys who made uh, Mission Impossible clearly like Midnight Run and like that idea that <laughs> someone doesn't want to be caught and keeps taking yeah. them into these escalating situations and there's no way they could possibly get out and they get out and then they get out again and then they get out yeah. again. And it's like, ah, oh, that, and just talking to you now, Adam, and you're like, yeah, the action movies do it better in some respects, but they, but there's not a comedic element like a Charles Grodin. That is that person. Right. That's trying to but but I think, I think again, the important thing of that is that the comedic element is not just Charles Grodin. It's Charles yes. Grodin with Robert, Robert De Niro. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's, that's what's missing is that yes. like perfect alchemy. And now it's like, this would be John Cena and Zach Efron. <laughs> you know, or like, stop, uh, stop coming up with combinations. Adam, every combination, no every combination hurts. Stop. Every combination it's true, hurts. It's, stings. it's true though. It's yeah, true. No, it's true. Yeah. No. Cause like you've got Charles Grodin against a St. Bernard. It's not the same when you get Charles <laughs> yeah. Grodin and De Niro, like it's a very special chemistry mm -hmm. there for sure. Completely. Yeah, and that, I think that's it's like it all has to do with that, and then an amazing script. Yeah, kind of yeah. like the perfect match of you guys today. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Oh, oh perfect! Okay. Oh, the perfect, the, so the, per, the perfect chemistry. The perfect chemistry. Yes. No one has ever said that about us, Charles. <laughs> Even in our film. <laughs> Um, uh, by, by the way, I want to I want to see a Mission too. Impossible movie with Charles Grodin. By the way, that sounds that sounds excellent. Can yeah. we bring the Charles yeah, Grodin yeah, element into in. Mission Impossible? He'd, he'd be he'd be a he'd be this great secretary. He'd be a great secretary, begrudgingly. Charles listening. Grodin Mission Impossible would be like, can I be six? Yeah. <laughs> he'd be questioning everything. Yeah. Well, if there's no six and there's no five, am I just seven because you made me seven? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to run to a plane? You know, you know. actually, uh, I won't have a martini. Drinking is bad for you. Yes. <laughs> this has been Midnight Run-Through with Blake Howard and Jen Johans. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then... See you in the next life. See you in the next life. Now to close, here's the trailer for Night Owls, starring Adam Pally, written and directed by Charles Hood. Yeah. Hey, Peter. I'm in Will's house. Okay. Well, you need to explain to me why you're there. I, I, after you guys left the banquet, I met this girl, and then I, I went back to her house. I'm gonna go upstairs. Hello? Lady? Only problem is it's not her house. It's, uh, it's Will's house. Where is she now? I have to call you back. No. Lady! Oh, hey, get up! Did you take something? Did you take something? Oh! Hi, 
Doctor, thank you so much. We're not out of the woods yet. You're just gonna have to keep her awake. Keep her awake? What happens if she falls asleep? Well, then her brain will stop sending the signal to her lungs that she needs to breathe. But you're not gonna let that happen, do we have to worry about that, do we? Uh. I would like to know why we are in my boss's house. Don't let her talk to anyone. That's for you. And don't let her leave. <laughs> that might be a bit of a challenge. I am begging you, do not back out of this room. Dude, let go. How's it going there, champ? You know, I think I'm uh, pretty good. Everything seems to be under control.